Welcome to the Brianna Morello Show. We have a jam-packed program for you today. New York is looking to implement quarantine camps. Yes, you heard that right, quarantine camps. A mistrial has just been declared in the Brianna Taylor shooting. One of the officers involved has gotten his second mistrial. We'll talk about that with one of the officers that was shot in that shooting. How to secure your family's financial future. Dr. Kirk Elliott joins us next to talk about coming up with a plan to make sure Biden economics doesn't wipe your family out. All of this and more on the Brianna Morello Show. Some scary news coming out of New York that we want to bring your attention to. New York was just given the green light to move forward with its plans to create quarantine camps. Yes, you heard that right. Quarantine camps. Now, what just happened? The New York Supreme Court Appellate Division Fourth Judicial Department just had its five judges. It's a panel of five judges rule that state lawmakers, Republican state lawmakers, didn't have any type of standing in this case at all. It's according to these judges, which is pretty strange. But these judges said that they didn't have standing to bring about this lawsuit. Now, the lawsuit originally was won in the county court. And what happened was, is these lawmakers, and uh, this, it was also, uh, there was a citizens group also a part of this as well, were challenging the governor who skipped over the three branches of government and how normally we'd be functioning if they wanted to pass legislation. But she skipped over all of this. Uh, her name, though, if you're not familiar with her, is the Wicked Witch of the Northeast, Miss Kathy Hochul. So she decided to skip over the other branches of government and implement this quarantine policy, which ultimately would allow the health department to go in and they don't need any evidence to show that you're sick or you've been around somebody who has a communal disease. And they would literally pull you from your home and put you in these camps. Now, if you recall, New York has the uh, satanic uh, AG, the one who hates Donald Trump, who was fighting this whole battle in court. Uh, she doesn't believe in the Constitution either. And so she went to bat and defended the state and defended Kathy Hochul for creating this policy. It is completely unconstitutional. But the most appalling part in all of this is what happened this this week with this ruling. Ultimately, what happened was is this high court in New York just ruled that New York lawmakers do not have standing to challenge the governor, which is outrageous when you think about it. Okay, now we know that. New York cannot challenge whatever the governor whatever the governor wants to implement, any policy she wants to implement. Uh, so ultimately, what's going to be happening here now, if you live in the state of New York, is potentially, like this video here, the health department could literally drag you from your home and bring you to a quarantine camp, and there's nothing you could do about it. And we know because based on the, the, the previous court uh, hearings that were going on regarding this, the AG's office was literally asked... At what point, like, when can these families, if a whole family's brought into a quarantine camp, how can they get out? And they didn't really have a process. They just said they could legally hire an attorney and challenge us. There's no process involved at all. This is very vague, which is very scary in itself. And the government can literally drag you from your home and bring you to a quarantine camp. As long as they say that you are at risk of passing a uh, disease that they don't want you to pass around. I mean, it's the most insane thing. And the list of diseases that they consider to be dangerous is very vague. It's very vague. And, um, you know, if the state really wanted to implement it, they'd stop taking in illegal migrants. If you're familiar with New York City, what's going on right now, uh, New York City is dealing with tuberculosis outbreaks. And it's because they're taking in illegal migrants who are coming in illegally from our southern border and they're putting them into New York City and they're going to our public schools and they're just being sent all around the city and they're spreading tuberculosis. And New York City is quietly and aggressively working to uh suppress that from coming out in, into the public spectrum so people don't know what's actually happening in New York right now. So ultimately what New York is trying to do is they're trying to become the next China. And these are what the quarantine camps, just to remind you, looked like in China 
during the COVID pandemic. That ultimately could happen here in New York State. So if you are somebody who loves your freedom, you don't want the government in your health, in your health information, which I, I don't even understand how HIPAA laws don't even apply to this. I don't, they totally just disregarded all privacy to your own medical records. It's quite concerning. But if you love your freedom, if you love the fact that the government should just mind its own business and stay the hell out of your health care, then you should be deeply concerned about what's going on right now in New York. Oh, well, let's be honest, right? Under Joe Biden, we've had plenty of economic woes and uncertainties. Like many of you, I was getting a little nervous. So I turned to my dad for some advice. He's great at investing his money. He said, there's only one thing to do, and that's to invest in gold and silver. I've never done it before. So I called our friend, Dr. Kirk Elliott. And I don't regret it at all because let me tell you guys, he gave me all the details I needed. So if you're like me and you're just trying to get your foot in the door and trying to figure out what's the best way to invest your funds, I highly recommend and right now, you go to KirkElliottPhD.com slash Brianna. That's KirkElliottPhD.com slash Brianna. Or call 720-605-3900. That's 720-605-3900. Well, Carly, we're not, we're not flying right now. The only missions that we're doing are Quiet Skies missions, and those are missions that are following the January 2021 people. So we're either on the border uh, for illegal immigrants or we're following folks from January 2021. We're not doing our regular missions where we're out there looking for the bad guys. So right now on uh, most flights, you're not going to have air marshals. What do you mean by that? You're following January 2021 people. What does that mean? That means our primary mission is a little group called Quiet Skies. It's a mission called Quiet Skies that we're following people that flew into the national capital region in January 2021. You did not have to go to the Capitol or the rally, and you've been put on a specific list that TSA now has assigned air marshals to follow these people who have not had uh, any type of criminal investigation. They haven't committed a crime, but yet three years later, we're following the same individuals day in and day out. So you're saying that air marshals are now following people that were at the Capitol uh, on January 6th, and they're not tracking terrorists at all? Well, they didn't even have to be at the Capitol, Carly. They could have just flown into the National Capitol region. So if anybody was there for uh, a job interview, to visit family, we even had a gentleman that was there for a funeral. They put put on this domestic terrorist list just because of their geographic location to Washington, D.C. So these people did not even commit a crime. They weren't even at the Capitol. What? Do those people know that they're on this list? Some of them do, because when they go to the airport, they get the quadises on their boarding pass, and then they have to go through enhanced security. Then they're followed by teams of air marshals on, on any leg of flight that they have. So, yes, a lot of them do know that they're being followed, yet they haven't been vetted, and they have not committed a crime. And three years later, we're still doing the same duty, and we followed the same people over and over for three years who are no threat to this country. Oh, my goodness. If that story sounded familiar, that's because we broke it right here on the Brianna Morello Show first. Of course, my old employer, Fox Corp, is always behind, but not here on our show, of course. We give you guys the inside look on the stories that Fox Corp wouldn't normally cover. Uh, Sonia, we had on the show last week, as you might recall, and the only way she was able to get that story in there was by ambushing them and kind of just throwing it out there. And now they had no choice but to cover it. So good on Sonia. But it's another reason why you need to hit that subscribe button and make sure you get the latest news here from The Brianna Morello Show. 
I wanted to bring you an update on a story we covered extensively a couple of weeks ago on this show. Uh, there was a mistrial declared. Uh, it's actually one of the officers that were involved in the Breonna Taylor shooting. Uh, the federal government went after one of the officers who were involved in that shooting. There were three officers that day who were actively opening fire in Taylor's apartment. And one of them, just one of them, was criminally charged by the federal government. It was a civil rights trial. Uh, it is Louisiana police officer Brett Hankson. Uh, he was charged and um, they just declared a mistrial in his case. And it's quite interesting because he's battled both in the federal court and in the state court. And so I want to bring in somebody who knows this case in and out, sadly, because he was involved in it. Uh, Sergeant John Mattingly. Sergeant John Mattingly was actually shot that day, sadly, but he's he's doing OK. Uh, he is also the author of the book, 12 Seconds in the Dark. Thank you for being here, Sergeant Madeline. We appreciate your time as always. I appreciate you having me back. Yeah, well, thank you for joining us. So I want to tell our audience exactly um, a little bit about what happened that day and why they were targeting Hankson uh, specifically, because like I said in my open, there were three officers that day who opened fire in the apartment. He was the only one that was charged. Um, so specifically, I know he wasn't at the door and mm -hmm. I know he was shooting from a, from a different point. Uh, can you break down to our audience why they went after him and from his perspective, why he felt the need to uh, fire his gun off 10 times? Yeah, so I'll start with, you know, what happened that night as far as, you know, we were at the door for about a minute knocking and announcing, which all the all the the, the main television stations and stuff say different. Uh, but we were there for about a minute knocking and announcing. And when the door, when we finally breached the door because they wouldn't come to it, um, as soon as I stepped in the doorway, I was shot before we even got through the door. Brett was the third guy back. So there was a guy over my shoulder that was following me in. He was right behind him. So he could actually see in the house or in the apartment. He saw the, the muzzle flash. He knew I was hit. Um, after I returned fire, the guy behind me had began returning fire. So Brett didn't have an opportunity to get in that doorway. It was too many people, too dangerous. So what he did is he said, because I asked him, you know, about two days after, I'm like, why did you shoot where you shot? I was just curious. And so he said he button hooked around the front of the, the apartment because as he's running around to get in, all he heard was rapid gunfire. We were in a breezeway. So with metal staircasing and the brick, you heard nothing but a lot of echoing and reverbication. So it sounded like multiple uh, gunshots from an automatic weapon is what he thought. And so he thought he knew I'd been shot and he thought we were getting assassinated at the doorway. And he said, I've got to do anything I can do to get around there and get this guy to stop shooting and killing my friends at the doorway, which is what he did. He put the bullets through the windows where he thought he last saw uh, the flash of, of, from the gunshot. And, and that's what got him where he is today. Now in the state trial, um, they came in and Louisville is a very liberal city. So I thought, man, if he's going to get convicted anywhere, it's going to be in Louisville because the police aren't very popular there. It's a, 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 a democratically run city and, and it's always anti-police, anti-police, anti-police. So, that trial, they did it for a couple of weeks. The jury was only out about an hour and a half. They came back. And usually that's bad news. Usually if it's quick, it's guilty. But they came back and they acquitted him because they finally heard some of the truths that we've been screaming all along that, that the public hadn't heard. And so when they acquitted him, the FBI agents in the courtroom stood up and walked behind him and said, this isn't over. And they walked out. Well, then they took it to several grand juries, which I didn't know the feds could do this, took it to several grand juries and finally got him acquitted. Um, to stand trial on the federal charges, basically the same as the state charges, except they added the uh, civil rights violation, which could have been life in prison. And we're talking about a guy who didn't hurt anyone. 
his bullets didn't strike anything but drywall and glass. And they're trying to put him away for life in prison and make an example. Um, when these types of things happen on probably 80% of police shootings, because there's a lot of stuff going on. When you see the, the most recent one on the highway where there's cars all behind them, and these guys were justified. The guy gets out, starts shooting at him, and they're returning fire downrange. Well, these bullets are flying by these cars that are occupied by other people all the time. And these guys shouldn't and won't face charges. But since this was such an emotionally driven black, white, white officer, black, black defendant, the federal government felt like they had to step in and actually make a point. Yeah, yeah, we see that time and time again, right? This Department of Justice especially only wants to get involved when the victim is black and the uh, suspects or the people involved are white. Um, I, I've reached out in several cases. You know, last week we discussed the Los, An uh, the Las Vegas um, death of a 17-year-old boy who was beaten to death. That boy was was white, and the suspects involved were uh, black and Hispanic. And I asked the Department of Justice if they were going to get involved in that, and uh, they declined to comment. But when it's issues like this, they're so quick to get involved and and to stick their necks out. Um, we've seen the FBI constantly overreach. So it doesn't surprise me that they made those comments in the courtroom. Um, they are so political these days and they, they love to get involved in these types of instances. We're going to talk about Derek Chauvin too later on the show from George yeah. Floyd because I think that's interesting what just recently happened this week. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's interesting, right? As you described, this officer shot 10 times into the apartment. He hit no one. He wasn't the one who hit Brianna. Um, and yet they, they still went after him. Uh, the state found him not guilty. Uh, as you said, it's a liberal state. Um, I mean, you've probably spoken to a lot of these federal agents who were looking to go after him. Do, do they seem like they're politically motivated when you're talking to them? Or do they seem like they really want to give this a fair shake and and give all officers involved um, a, a fair a fair try at all of this? Because it, it seems like to me when I when I talk to people that they are political and they make that known from the, the gate. Uh, but I like your your perspective on that. I, I can't say I saw any actual, you know, brazen political talk. Um, what you did see was the refusal to see it through a different lens rather than the one that they had already predetermined and made. And every question was that way, even leading up to the trial when, when the judge forcibly made me talk to them because I kept saying, I'm not talking to you because I know their game. Their game is they want to interview you three or four times and get you to slip up on one thing or say something a little bit different that can be interpreted differently. And then they come at you and try to charge you. And I wasn't going to play their game. So the George, the judge forcibly ordered me to talk to them. And when I did, I'm trying to explain this from a police officer standpoint, because you got to realize the FBI agents, they're not on the street. You know, these are most of them are pencil pushers. And it's not a slam on them, but that's they're not out there hand, putting hands on and handcuffs on people. It's not like the shows and the movies. Everybody thinks the FBI is doing all this running and gunning. That's just not the case. It's the local police that do all that. So they don't have the experience of knowing what these situations are like. Your DOJ uh, attorneys have never been on the street, probably never even done ride-alongs to understand the gravity of what they're putting on these guys' shoulders. And so the, the failure and the very condescending is a word that I felt when I would talk to them. It's very looking down like we're criminals from the get. And I'll tell you what, the thing that, that drove me the most nuts during this trial was I have never seen this in all my years and in, in going to court, doing trials, doing all the different stuff I've done. These prosecutors tried this case as if they were the defense. You know, the defense does all these lies and these dirty little tricks and, and they try to, to persuade the jury, not on the facts of the case, not on the law, but on, on all these other 
uh, misnomers and all these, like they kept talking about policy. Well, you violated policy here talking to, about Brett. You violated policy there. Well, you don't go to prison for policy violations, but that's what they did. Everything was smoke and mirrors, nothing on the gravity of the law or the letter of the law. And so I think that's why they got the hung jury here. I think um, also, you know, as much as I liked Brett's attorneys as people, I, they weren't as strong as, as the prosecutor was because they brought in somebody from D.C. who's very experienced. And uh, he was very good at leading people down a road and getting getting people to say what they, what he wants them to say. Um, and so I hope if they do retry, you know, I hope he'll go a different route and get different attorneys. Yeah, yeah. And, and thankfully, you know, a lot of these expenses, most average Americans can't take on. Um, yeah. So I, I, I feel really bad for when these off. And this is why we struggle to find people who want to work in law enforcement these days, because who would want to deal with this? I mean, this is a 20 year veteran, never had an issue prior to this. Uh, is a canine officer, and then they just go after him with all of their resources, both state and federal, and they try to take him down. A and so many people, because they can't afford it, would plead guilty to these types of things just to get out of it because they can't they can't burden the expense anymore. So thankfully, this isn't something that he's had to deal with. But again, like you said, we're still waiting for the DOJ to say if they're going to prosecute him again or not. They haven't yet spoken to the judge about this. They, they talk, I believe, in about two weeks regarding that, that if they're right. going to retry him or not. Um but just to have that burden, that stress on your chest, I couldn't even imagine what he's going through right now. And no. I talk to all these these people who live in liberal cities right now, and they're so afraid because these these cities have been overran by crime, and they can't get members of law enforcement to to want to work there. A lot of people, like I'm from New York, are leaving the NYPD. They're going to the suburbs. They don't want to deal with these liberal wastelands. And and this is exactly why they prosecute the heck out of you and they demonize you. Um, again, I want to remind our audience, there's a lot of disinformation by the media that was put out there. Again, there was a no-knock warrant issued for this raid, and yet you guys did knock. You did announce your arrival from outside the home. That's right. something that the media uh, loves to pretend like didn't happen. And 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 Breonna Taylor's boyfriend shot first. And right. that's what a lot of people failed to announce. And he lied initially and said it was Brianna who fired, but it wasn't. It was him. Uh, and right. that's the ex-boyfriend, actually. Uh, he is... From last I checked, he's actually still on the run. Um, he's responsible for the death of a child, um, yeah. and he's a drug dealer, and he's a lowlife, and um, they're still looking for him, unfortunately. And that's uh, the one who opened fire, the current boyfriend. Yeah, that's that's uh, the amazing thing. You know, in 2020, over 100,000 overdose deaths. We're out there trying to get these drugs off the street, yeah. and then we become the criminals somehow. You know, it's just yeah. bizarre how, how, how America's kind of turned here, and I hope we get back on track. Um, and, and you said you were talking about Liz Collins thing earlier, I believe, with George Floyd, which you can talk about later. So I'm glad yeah. somebody had the guts to shed some light on that, um, because, yeah. you know, as you know, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor were like hand in hand during 2020 with these riots. If you say his name, say hers, all that stuff. So um, hopefully with that giving some traction, I think she's had over a million views on that now that, that this thing will take off and people will be willing to open their eyes and go, wait a minute. We were deceived. We were fooled. And, um, and they'll get some of the truth. Yeah, yeah, and if they want some more truth, they can look, take a take a look at your book. That's details everything that happened that night. Twelve seconds in the dark. Highly recommended. It. It's one of my favorites. Actually, I'm back on my shelf over there, guys. So it's a real book that I do read, <laughs> and I love it. Um, I want to talk about Derek Chauvin, Officer Derek Chauvin, because everyone remembers what happened during the George Floyd riots. Uh, it was a political year. It was high tensions, as we all know, and and so they really took advantage. And the left and the media, and we now know the FBI got involved just hours after Floyd's death. And it was eerie. And that's what that film kind of expresses, how weird it is that the federal government stepped in and, and tried going through all of this. 
I, I didn't realize that most Americans didn't know this because I know when I came out and said that George Floyd died from fentanyl, um, I was threatened. I received uh, social media. I mean, I got like a flood of people threatening me. Um, I got people trying to find out who my employer was, which at the time, I believe it was actually Fox Corp. So they were trying to get me fired. Didn't work out, though, obviously, because it's Fox News. Uh, and uh, it was a train wreck. So this film is incredible because uh, the woman who you just named Liz is behind Liz Collins is behind it. And she was a journalist as well. And she went, endured the same exact stuff, probably even worse, was forced out. Lifelong journalist over there was from the community. But she outlines all of the lies that were told. And just recently this week, uh, SCOTUS shot down Derek Chauvin's uh, appeal. And, um, you know, I asked a former prosecutor, you know, what's going on here? Because I thought it was quite strange that they were uh, just rejecting his his appeal altogether. And there wasn't really an opinion that came out from the Supreme Court. But um, it also looks like Chauvin's attorneys didn't really mention the fentanyl issue. So from my understanding of it, and I remember reading this, that a um, uh, an examiner, a medical examiner said that normally if it was like you or I, that fentanyl would have killed us that was in his system. Right. But because he was such an avid drug uh, user, he, he used this all the time, he might have built up some form of an immunity, which is debatable, obviously. But then they wanted to go with the fact that just based on Chauvin's knee being on his neck, that that's what killed him. And we know to this day that that was not what, what happened. And, and then the FBI did step in and uh, allegedly might have influenced that uh, a little bit. But um, you're a former officer. What do you do in these situations when you have the federal government coming after you and all of these local media outlets coming out and they're just they're so stuck on the idea of criminalizing you and going after you for something that didn't happen i mean they 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 didn't even want the fentanyl theory to be in to make its way into the courtroom or in the public public arena how do you even overcome any of that at that, at that point well before i address that i'll talk about that that medical examiner so um an attorney reached out to me who was present in minneapolis during the beginning of this thing before the settlement before the trial, all that stuff, when it was first happening, the first couple of weeks, still a huge deal and things were going crazy. Uh, but he was present, he said, when um, someone from, I don't know if it was the DOJ or the medical board came to this, this guy who did the autopsy and said, you need to change your report or we're going to revoke your medical license. And so the fix was in from the beginning. So how do you combat that? The only thing I can offer as far as from my experience, had we had a, a chief or a command staff or a mayor who was willing to stand up and say, well, well wait a minute, we're not going to impede the investigation, but we can put out certain facts and certain truths to, to dispel all these lies that the Ben Crumps of the world love to go out and just blow things up and, and leave a city in shambles and walk away with a pocket full of money. Cause that's all he is. He's a con artist. And so the, these guys do that. And the leaders of these cities who are responsible for the finances, for the protection of the city, sit back on their hands and do nothing. And until we pressure them or get them out of office and get guys in there who have the guts to actually stand up against all the propaganda, um, the individual officers, we can't do it. Like in my case, originally I had a gag order. I couldn't even get on there and dispel any of this. And the first time I did was with Michael Strahan on 2020. And when the George Floyd thing came up, I said, whether he died of a suit of, of a, of an overdose or from the knee on the neck, we don't know yet. And man, I got lambasted for that and got death threats and, and they spun it out. You know, the media did said, oh, he said George Floyd died of an overdose and the cops didn't kill him and all this stuff. So I understand what you're talking about from the death threat points and, and all that stuff. It happened, you know, hundreds of times. But 
can we fix it? I think we've got to get the right people in office. That's that's where it's going to boil down to. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, not easy. it's not easy because most no. on both sides, they're all afraid. I've, every time I reach out oh. to somebody about January 6th, they, they are too fearful of getting involved because of the political ramifications and they have no guts, a lot of these individuals. and But when they're on camera, they're doing their Fox hits, their hits on other networks, they pretend to be all gutsy, but a lot of them are cowards. Um, and, and we know fight. that too well. Yeah, which is the problem nowadays. Um, I mean, let's just say best case scenario, more evidence comes out that Chauvin was really set up by the federal government. Uh, the Supreme Court knows quite well um, because they've they've had these protests outside their homes before, how aggressive and nasty these left-wing advocates get. Uh, Do you see them taking up this case, even if there's an abundance of evidence that reflects uh, that there might have been an alternative besides the one that they offered during the trial? uh, I I could be wrong, but I could be wrong, but wasn't this one on Clarence Thomas's desk or am I mistaken on that? I know a big one is right now. I don't know if it was that one or another one, but, but, Man, I look at it and I don't know what their reputation is or what their history is as far as once they decline something, if they're willing to reopen. I'm not sure. So I don't have a really good say on that one. Yeah. So the, a former prosecutor told me that based on the fact that they didn't put it was a very limited, um, I guess, argument that they were trying to make in front of the Supreme Court. And it didn't include all the information regarding the cause of death. So he thinks that they might try to put it up again to the Supreme Court because they, they could they could do it multiple times. And he thinks they're going to use the fentanyl um, reasoning next time. So I don't know. We'll see. I don't know if, if SCOTUS even want to get involved because they know how crazy these left-wing advocates get. They saw what right. happened when they tried to overturn, when they did overturn Roe versus Wade. Um, and, and they just might not want to risk that again because, I mean, these people are crazy. I mean, they tried to literally kill Brett Kavanaugh, Justice Kavanaugh. And so I don't know if they want to get involved in it. Um it's it's interesting, but it's really upsetting because I feel bad for him. I know, I know, you know, he lost his his marriage was over after all this went through. He's lost everything. Um, and then the pileup that happened afterwards, both getting locally charged and getting charged by the federal government, the DOJ putting all their force. And then the other officers who were involved, I think it was only two uh, of them were brand new to the force. Yeah. yeah, and they just destroyed all Horrible. their lives. Yes, they did. So yeah, the, the, the fallout from it is always greater than people realize. You know, they look at the one officer and go, oh, he's a scumbag or he deserves it or whatever. They forget about the family and the friends and all the other people who are affected so deeply, usually greater than the officer is because we're so, you know, type A and ready to fight back. And, and the people around you are just so overwhelmed with all this. But but yeah, speaking of, of the attorneys that didn't file all that stuff for whatever reason, some of that stuff's mind boggling to me because you know, I'm not an attorney, but I'm smart enough to know if I'm going to put something before the Supreme Court, I'm giving them everything because I want I want guns blazing so they can look at it and go, man, something's off here. But it could be the, the level of attorney because we see all these good attorneys that are willing to stand up for truth. They're trying to just bar them all. And so, you know, we couldn't get any defense attorneys in Louisville. All the good ones said, no, we're not touching it. And so we had to go go outside of the state and all over the place to, to find decent guys just to come help us. So. Um, it's going to be a tough road for him if he, if he gets it back on the docket. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope he does. Um, he doesn't deserve to be sitting in prison. Listen, if George Floyd was the person that they make him out to be, um, the community should have helped him and right. they chose not to. And at the end of the day, his destiny was set by himself and only himself. And there's, there's no other way to look at this when you're involved in drugs. It's, it's upsetting. And I understand that, but, um, you know, that there's really only two ways out if you don't, uh, go to rehab if you don't try to get rid of those addiction issues. 
And unfortunately, the community didn't help him. And so they could sit here and pretend now that he was this great human being. But again, they abandoned him when in his time of need. And so there's a lot of blame to go around. I don't blame Chauvin at all for most of this, honestly. And I, uh, I it's really hard for people to want to become police officers these days when this is what they do to people. They ruin their lives. Uh, Sergeant John Mattingly, thank you, as always, for being here, helping us understand what happened that day. We appreciate it. Give him a follow on Twitter. Uh, you're one of my favorite follows. Uh, it's honest and it's it's hot takes that most people don't want to accept these days, but I always appreciate that in your commentary too under my posts. I always appreciate that as well. In the book, 12 Seconds in the Dark. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brianna. Appreciate you. After a long day of filming, I've got to somehow take off all this makeup, but make sure that I put the nutrients back into my skin that it desperately needs. So I found this new skincare line. I have to tell you all about it. Givaderm is all natural products. I use it twice a day, I use it in the morning, and I also use it before I go to bed. First up, we have this clay cleanser. This is amazing because it takes up all of your makeup and it smells good too. Vitamin C is so important for brightening your skin. I also used to get super bad acne, and so it's helping, um, I guess, kind of like blending my acne scars a little bit so they're not so bright anymore. Here it is, it's the vitamin C serum. Just little pumps and put it on. And then don't forget your neck. Now moving on to step three. That is their Uplift Serum. You don't have to do that much. So many times I have like these high-end products and I'm clogging my pores and you can see it. It's literally always around here and around my nose area. But for some reason, maybe it's just because it's natural and there's not all that garbage chemicals that are into it. It seems to clear it up so well. Step four, it's the Bamboo Mist. It feels so amazing on your skin. I mean, you can literally name all these products that are in it. Definitely also like a cooling. And then this one, it's called Nourish. It's like this amazing cream, super light. You don't need that much of it. And always make sure you get under the eye area, not in your eyes. Givaderm has done miracles for my skin. I highly recommend it to everyone, men and women, because guess what happens if you don't take care of your skin? It looks like you're aging quicker than what you really are aging. Natural products all made in the USA. They don't support any of the garbage that comes out of China. It's not gonna be found in your products. I promise you that. You have to get this product. Click down the link below. Givaderm is the product name and the promo code for 10% off right now is Brianna. For 10 years, Patriot Mobile has been America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. We are here to defend democracy. The misinformation poses a threat to our nation's health. Climate change is immersed. Democratic socialism. Codified. Women's right to choose. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15. Glenn and the team have been great supporters of this show, which is why I'm so proud to partner with them. Patriot Mobile offers dependable nationwide coverage, giving you the ability to access all three major networks, which means you get the same coverage you've been accustomed to without funding the left. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're sending the message that you support free speech, religious freedom, the sanctity of life, Second Amendment, and our military veterans and first responder heroes. Their 100% U.S.-based customer service team makes switching easy. PatriotMobile.com slash Brianna. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Brianna. Or call 878-PATRIOT. You need today? Yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah. Oh, God. Everything okay, ma'am? Oh, it's just that you've only scanned a few items and it's already 60 bucks. I'm so scared. Okay, I'm a trained professional, ma'am. I've scanned a lot of groceries. I need you to stay with me. I need you to take a deep breath. We're about to do the cheese. 
Oh my God! Don't look up there. It only makes it worse. Keep your eyes on me, okay? Can't you just scan something less expensive? Now brace yourself. I'm about to do the mixed nuts. Oh my God! I'm gonna pass out. Okay, bite down on this, Patricia. Get ready. I'm gonna do the cured meats. Too late. There's a line behind you. Okay, you're locked in. Son okay, your total's two hundred fifty-seven eighty-four. No! No! You got to dig deep. This is the hardest part, Patricia. It's time to pay. It's funny, but it's not funny, right? Most Americans right now, when they go into the stores and they're making their basic purchases, are dealing with that exact situation. I know, like for me, just a single woman living at home, I I spend about a hundred dollars a week in groceries now. And that was never the case before Joe Biden entering the White House. Um, so there's a lot to be concerned about. And now we're entering the holiday season. Um, we're about to discuss what's been going on lately regarding retailers. But a, a couple of quick points I want to you know, drive home so you guys understand what's actually happening right now. Walmart is saying that consumer spending on basic items, like even food, is down. So customers are spending less money on essentials, which is really scary. Target's also saying during the holiday season that they're not going to fully stock their shelves. It's going to be a, a lighter amount of items that you see when you walk into their stores. I'm going to bring in a man who's going to help ease our minds and worries about all of this because I'm a little nervous heading into the holiday season. Please welcome in Dr. Kirk Elliott. Dr. Elliott, thank you for being here. Um, I mean, every time I go to the store now, I am horrified at the prices. The most basic items are going up 40, 50, 60 to a dollar every time I see it. And I feel like it's happening all the time now. Uh, beef is so expensive. Chicken is so expensive. Uh, what are your thoughts on what's going on right now with our economy? It doesn't seem to be um, showing well, any signs of it reducing the, the prices, at least for food. No, it it's not. And so, you know, a couple weeks ago, Biden was speaking in Northfield, Minnesota, and I was watching the the interview and it's like, he said he was just bragging about Bidenomics. And so what he called it, he's called it Bidenomics. He said, it's so good. We're creating jobs and we've won the war against inflation and we can pause interest rates and we're going to spend in rural America. And it's like, what, what? Every one of those things is a lie. It's like, seriously, every single one. A, if they were to have beat the war against inflation they wouldn't raise rates sky high and then pause them they would lower rates okay so point number one they didn't win that war and bidenomics stinks it's not good for america we've got massive inflation rising taxes rising in interest rates to slow down inflation i mean people don't have any money to spend like that that video i know it was is intended to be a funny video and it made us chuck a little bit but people buying groceries they they can't afford it. That's not a funny story, right? That's, yeah. but that little video is kind of funny. It makes us chuckle because we've all seen that and we experienced that. But now I know I'm aging myself a little bit, but when I was in college, I would go to the grocery store and I would get 10 packets of ramen for like a buck, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, oh my yeah. word. I mean, it was cheap, but, but now what Walmart and, and Target are saying is that people going in, um, buying stuff. They're not just buying normal things that you would normally get, but groceries. They're buying fewer groceries where instead of going in and buying 10 packages of ramen, people are saying, oh, I'm only going to get four, right? Or or instead of buying, you know, a, a box of like 24 cans of soda, they're going to just get a six pack, right? They just, they're not buying as much because they don't have enough money. 
They're literally living hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck, most of the people in America. This is America, Brianna, that shouldn't be this way. We should have a system where when you work hard and you don't spend a lot of money, you live frugally, that you should have money left at the end of the month to save and to grow and to invest and to, but most people aren't there. Really, they're, they're just not there, which is purely a function of policies coming out of D.C. Because when you think about what we've got, we've got rising prices because they're printing money like there's no tomorrow. That is not going to end anytime soon. How, why, how do we know? Because the BRICS nations that met in August when Putin was speaking and said, we're going to de-dollarize the world. They added six of the nine largest oil producers in the world into the BRICS nations, took away demand for the petrodollar, which is all oil settlements globally traded in U.S. dollars. That's the built-in demand for our currency, which allowed us to print money without discretion because we still had built-in demand. But when we don't have that anymore and we still have expenses, we still have infrastructure, we still have education, we still have all the entitlements Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, women, infant, children programs, food stamps, all of that. We still have defense. How are we going to pay for it if we have no incoming cash flow from from other countries using the U.S. dollar? Well, the answer is we're going to have to print our way out of it. Printing causes inflation. The mechanism to slow down inflation is to raise interest rates. So here's where when Biden talks. He's lying when he says they've won the war against inflation. When Janet Yellen is speaking and saying the dumbest thing that I've ever heard a a Treasury secretary ever say, where she's clapping, saying, good job, America. We understand that the economy is bad, but you're very resilient in your spending. And this is awesome. You know, good job. It's like, what? Why would you encourage people spending when Brianna, if if you and I were to spend money out of our checking accounts or something like that, that's true spending, right? It's money that's there. We spend it. It's gone. We got something in exchange for that. But what she's talking about is people spending money on credit cards. How do I know? Because credit card debt now is at the highest point it's ever been in the history of our country. We blew past a trillion dollars in credit card debt over the last couple of weeks. Now, Not only do we have massive amounts of credit card debt with interest rates rising, which is going to be a problem for anybody that has debt, but the available credit lines that people have on their credit cards is going away. One, because banks are running out of money and they're they're eliminating that. Let's just say, let's just make up a story here. Let's just say, Brianna, you had a a $25,000 debt on your Chase credit card, right? But you had a $35,000 credit line. You still have $10,000 left for you to spend. See, this is what Janet Yellen and the crew are hoping that people keep spending that money because that's what's kept the economy afloat. That's what she was clapping about. But banks are squishing that, taking away the available credit. So now the credit lines are exactly what your debt is, or people have just reached their max. There isn't anything left right? So there's nothing more to spend. So what the government is celebrating, people spending money, they can get by without lying about it technically because, yeah, people are spending money on their credit cards. But to me, that's not real spending. Now, 
come 2024, what are people going to do? If they don't have lines of credit left on their on their credit cards or if they've, they've maxed everything out, right, they're not going to spend anymore. When people don't spend, companies don't hire. When companies don't hire, there's no income tax revenue. There's no sales tax revenue as people aren't buying. People can't afford to buy houses. So income, so property tax revenues come down. It's like, it's ugly. And what happens during the holiday season when people aren't spending money because Target says they're not going to spend money? We've already seen it. We already know that this is going to happen. We're not going to have anything on the shelves. What happens after a horrible holiday retail season? People get laid off in January. What happens when they get laid off? Bankruptcies come. So this is all coming in 2024. You can see the writing on the wall and the connecting these dots. And here's the sad thing, Brianna. It's an election year. During an election year, you've got politicians who are going to promise the world. And and they're going to mortgage future generations of America, send them down the river without a paddle. And, And people know this. Who knows this? Banks know it. Citibank. Their CEO of Citibank this week basically said, hey, or it was actually on Friday. Um, President, CEO of Citibank said, Project Bora Bora, internal document that we've been working on. We're starting to lay off 10% of our workforce. We're going to make this happen. It's like 10% of the workforce. Citibank has 240,000 employees. That's 24,000 people going to get laid off. You know what happened two days ago? They started laying people off. Project Bora Bora is a reality, right? So so they know what's going to happen. A bank wouldn't lay people off if the economy were robust. A bank lays people off because the economy stinks. Thank you, Mr. Biden, right, for stinking up the economy. Now, it gets a little bit worse because globally, we've got this debt cycle that's happening, massive amounts of debt that can't be paid back, rising interest rates across the globe. Japan just raised rates for the first time in over 40 years. It's ugly. And um, two days ago, the Dutch Central Bank spilled the beans, Brianna. They they basically exposed their hand and said, uh, we're prepared for a new gold standard. I've been talking about this on shows for the last year and a half, how this is coming. People say, Kirk, that's conspiracy theory. We're not going to have gold back currency. It's like, oh. Well, now that the Dutch Central Bank said it, now you believe me, right? So yeah. so what we've been talking about is actually coming true. Well, here's the interesting quote from what they said in this interview on Dutch News. It says, this is the, the head of the Dutch Central Bank. If there is a financial crisis, the gold price will skyrocket and official gold reserves can be used to underpin a new gold standard. Then they said, by saying gold will be the safe haven of choice during a financial collapse, the Dutch National Bank confesses its own currency, the euro, does not weather all storms. It's like, hmm, imagine that. Fiat-based paper money, money that's just printed out of thin air with no tangible backing, can't weather all storms. But what can? A gold-backed currency, which is why, Brianna, you and I have talked about this before on the show, but but for a long time, it's like, don't watch, don't listen to what central banks say. Watch what they do because that paints a completely different picture. What they say is stuff like, oh, gold and silver, stupid ancient relics. They're very volatile and 
You don't want to do that. You want our central bank digital currency where there's accountability and transparency and we can monitor every transaction and, and get the bad guys and we'll stop money laundering and human trafficking and sex trafficking and drug trafficking. All of us want that. I'm not saying that we don't, but the ugly flip side of that is they monitor every transaction. If they don't like your spending, they can cut you off from buying or selling. So this is why gold is such an important option. And this is why they haven't been saying that it's actually good until just now when they know right around the corner, they're probably going to have their central banks backed by gold to maintain credibility in a world where the banking standard as we know it is going the way of the dodo bird. They have to adapt to survive. And, and this is where we're headed. So what we can do is watch what they're doing, Brianna. And what they're doing is amounting a massive amount of gold. China now has estimated 5,000 tons of gold. European Central Bank, 10,500 tons of gold. The Federal Reserve, 8,500 tons of gold. India, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, all about 300 to 400 tons of gold each. It's like, man, these big central banks are, are getting a war chest of gold. Why? To back their currency. The Dutch just spilled the beans and that's what they've been working on. So I think there's a monetary change coming and probably really soon. Gosh, that sounds really, really scary. I mean, but I like what you said there, right? Don't don't just listen to what they're saying, watch what they're doing, because I think that's really important during time like this, especially. How do we reverse course right now as a nation? Like, is there any way to go back and just try to change this so that we don't go down this really dark path? Or do you think we're just doomed mm. and we just have to, every individual in this country should just come up with their own individual plan on how to preserve their family finances? Boy, that's a good question and a loaded one. Um, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> thanks for asking it on the air. I really appreciate it. Um, so so there's, there's probably two answers to that. And number one is, I don't think we can reverse what the globalists are doing. It is going to come to fruition, right? But but it doesn't mean that we can't have a parallel system, right? Because we've got banks, state banks like Texas, that are now wanting to have their own central bank digital currency backed by gold. So getting away from that federal system into a state's rights system where you're going to have state banks is one option that we're moving in the right direction. The fact that the Dutch said that they've got mountains of gold basically, and they're ready to actually back a global currency with gold, tells us what? It tells us, if you read between the lines, I think that they know that what they're bringing to the forefront of central bank digital currency, the ability to cut you off from buying or selling if your ideology doesn't match up with theirs, I think they think maybe we've met our match. Maybe that the people aren't going to adapt this like we thought that they would, and we want a plan B. We still want to be the world's reserve currency, but we better have something that's going to back our currency so people still want what we have. So maybe that's it. Maybe they're going to have gold that's just a true backdrop to their central bank digital currency is the carrot. Is this carrot that's hanging out there that say, hey, look, our central bank digital currency is better than everybody else's. Ours is backed by gold. You should put your money into our system. Here's the danger with that. Using something good to entice people to do something bad, that's the plan of the enemy since Adam and Eve, right? It's like, mm -hmm. okay, so this is what they're doing, enticing people with gold to say, go into our central bank digital currency. But it's like, it's like watching a horror movie when 
you know, you're, you're sitting there with your friends on the couch and you're, you're like screaming. It's like, wait, stupid people don't go down the hallway. Don't go behind that locked door. We all know there's a monster back there. And when you open the door, you're going to be eaten alive. Right. But yet what happens? There's always somebody dumb that decides, Hey, <laughs> we know that there's something stinky on the other side. We can hear growling, but let's open the door anyways and just see what's in there. And I mean, this is what I feel like when people put money into a central bank digital currency, they're never getting it out. Truly, it's like they're going to die because they have then the ability, the the powers that be, those bankers have the ability for, to cut you off from using your funds if your ideology doesn't match up. It's the same thing. It's like you are no longer in control. So what can we do, right? I would say, what the states are doing is wanting to back a currency with gold. Hmm. Central banks globally backing a currency with gold. Hmm. Now, we can't buy gold by the thousands of tons or hundreds of tons. That's a lot. But what we can do is buy gold or silver by the ounce, do exactly what they're doing just at a smaller scale, gets us into a point of financial freedom, right? So, so you can do this with funds in your IRA. You can do this with, with just checking account funds, right? Start buying gold or silver, literally buy the ounce and start safeguarding what you have. That doesn't require, Brianna, a collective voice. It doesn't require being loud and trying to get politicians' attention. It's just you saying, I understand there's a problem. There's a trend that I don't want to take advantage, take part in. So I'm going to take advantage of that trend I'm going to allocate into the same thing central banks are just at a smaller scale. And that starts moving you in that direction of financial freedom, freedom and growth and prosperity where you can thrive. This is how you and I can have a smile on our face talking about bad news because we know that there's a solution and that's how I would start. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, you and I have spoken about this privately. You've helped me come up with my own financial plan. So I myself have bought into silver because I'm I am worried. I'm yeah. I am seriously seriously worried about all of this. It's very scary. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, here in the state of Florida, I mean, we have a surplus of of money. We we spend responsibly, but it's not like that in our federal government. So yeah, I am worried. Um, and we're taking on national debt, personal debt, and it's just it's a lot to take in. Um, and so I'd highly recommend our audience reach out to you, like I did. Uh, we spoke and and we went over what my finances were and came up with a plan. And now I've got my silver. So for those of you at home right now, if you want to just talk and have a conversation, which is the probably the, the hardest thing that you could do is just literally schedule the appointment. I mean, it was just so easy to get on the phone with you guys and just and talk about it and go over my personal finances. So I'd highly recommend everyone just calling, scheduling the appointment. And that's like the first big hurdle. Um, and then you'll feel so much better after you get off the call and you, you come up with this plan like I did. So I recommend you guys give them a call right now, 720-605-3900. That's 720-605-3900. You've got some great financial uh, advisors who could help you come up with this plan, discuss it. Uh, I'm grateful for it. You could also go over to kirkelliottphg.com slash Brianna. And there's a bunch of information available for you on that website. Dr. Kirk Elliott, I mean, I don't even know what to do anymore at this point besides tell everyone that they have to come up with a plan because you don't want to be caught in in the looming economic disaster that's coming ahead and, and yeah. you want to have a plan in place. Um, 
What else? Is there any other recommendations besides obviously giving you guys a call right now? Is there anything else that you think people need to to do? Or do you just want to emphasize? I mean, they could literally I, give you a call and talk this over with you and come up with a personal plan that fits their family situation. That's what I would do. I mean, my encouragement is don't not do it. Don't be afraid, right? Yeah. So a lot of people won't call because fear gets in. It's like, oh, normalcy bias. I was, I was listening to Dave Ramsey and at church and he said, you know, don't invest in gold or silver. Always buy and hold for the long term. Stocks are amazing. It's like, what? It's bad advice. I mean, Dave's the best on getting out of debt, but that's really bad investment advice because nothing goes up forever. Nothing goes down forever. What we have to do is we have to adapt to the economy as the economy changes or else you'll sink with the ship. So here's, here's what I want to end with. Normalcy bias, which is the market corrections in the past haven't hurt me. I'll get through I think I'll get through this one too if I just hold steady. It's like this one's different. Really, this is a debt spiral. This is a debt-based one. Even in 2009, when when the big collapse that we had, what was different about that one? Interest rates were still coming down. We now have interest rates rising, which impacts everything. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, real estate, everything that we borrow, our credit card debt. I mean, We are in a debt spiral, which is always the most dangerous because it truly impacts everything. So don't sit on the sideline. Normalcy bias will be the death to your financial portfolio. If the world changes and you don't change with it, that's a problem. You have to simply take that action, do something about it. Give us a call. It's a free call. I mean, we're we're not salespeople. We're not pushy. (laughs) We're just there to give you information. So you yeah. can make a wise decision with it. And whether you say, yeah, Kirk, let's do it. Makes sense. Or you say, nope, take a long walk off a short pier. I'm going to stay where I'm at. I, yeah. I don't care. My job and my calling and my gifting is to help get you to a point of decision where you can decide either way. That's our goal. Yeah. Yeah. And when I called, your team was super helpful. They planned everything out. They kept me in the loop of what was going on with my scheduled appointment and it was just, it was so easy to do and it's refreshing and, and it literally takes like a load of stress off your shoulders because so many people are going to be sitting here watching what's going on in the news and, and start panicking. And you might as well just go and reach out now and get your plan put into place. I recommend it. I've done it myself. So give them a call 720-605-3900. That's 720-605-3900. You could also head over to his website, kirkelliottphd.com slash Brianna. That's kirkelliottphd.com slash Brianna. Dr. Kirk Elliott, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Um, and I'm so thankful for all the knowledge you've just given our audience because it's really important to do this and it's really important to protect your finances. So thank you so much for your time as always. It's my pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Well, let's be honest, right? Under Joe Biden, we've had plenty of economic woes and uncertainties. Like many of you, I was getting a little nervous, so I turned to my dad for some advice. He's great at investing his money. He said there's only one thing to do, and that's to invest in gold and silver. I've never done it before, so I called our friend, Dr. Kirk Elliott. And I don't regret it at all because, let me tell you guys, he gave me all the details I needed. So if you're like me and you're just trying to get your foot in the door and trying to figure out what's the best way to invest your funds, I highly recommend and right now, you go to kirkelliottphd.com slash Brianna. That's kirkelliottphd.com slash Brianna. 
or call 720-605-3900. That's 720-605-3900.